Hello and welcome to the Canola Watch podcast. My name is Jay Wetter. Our topic today is an update on Canadian canola trade with China. My guests are... Hi Jay, it's Jim Everson here, President of the Canola Council of Canada. And uh, I'm Rick White, I'm the CEO of the Canadian Canola Growers Association. We're going to start with a few comments from each of you guys. Jim, you can go first. Sure, well I thought it would be helpful, Jay, to start with just an update on the state of trade with China. And um, so I'll just take a lead on that. And thank you everybody for listening to our podcast. And we, we hope this provides you, you know, with a good update on what's happening with canola trade to China and, and address some questions that we know that are on the minds of, of growers. When it comes to the current state of trade, unfortunately, there isn't a, a great deal of good news to report. Um, seed trade to China continues to be blocked. The licenses of Richardson and Viterra, the grain companies, to export canola seed remain suspended. Chinese importers, for the most part, are unwilling to buy canola, although recently there have been some new sales of canola seed and new shipments, um, and that is good news in a sense that it's not a total blockade of canola seed. Canola oil continues to move into China, and meal uh, sales are unaffected. Um, So that's kind of the state of trade at the moment um, between Canada and China on canola. There's been uh, numerous attempts to engage China in a discussion about their the concerns they raised with Canadian canola that started back in, in March of 2019. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency have uh, attempted many times to uh, provide a consultation. There have been um, some telephone calls between the agency and uh, the Chinese, but uh, not a lot of information forthcoming from that point of view. Um, the ministers of agriculture and trade and the foreign minister and even the prime minister have attempted to be in touch with um, their counterparts in China to, to discuss the canola trade situation. I believe the government of Canada is still weighing its options in terms of uh, next steps. And then uh, in the case of diversification, the, the canola working group is really looking at some opportunities uh, there that we can talk about in, the, in our question and answer period. The Exporters are looking for opportunities in other markets to to diversify sales and to sell to other places where there is crushing capacity for canola seed. The European market is uh, taking more significant volumes of Canadian canola seed. Um, We are interested as a a group, the Canadian Canola Growers Association and the Canola Council of Canada in um, expediting access to the domestic biofuels market. We hope to be able to speak a little bit more about that. so there's uh, several attempts going on uh, from a diversification point of view, in addition to the primary goal, which is to re-engage and to, and to, and to recommence the seed trade with, with China. Good, Jim. We'll get into details on, on a lot of those comments, but thanks for that overview. Rick. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Jay. And uh, yeah, just to add to what Jim uh, Jim was talking about, uh, I'd just like to, to take a step back and uh, continue and, and let uh, the listeners know that we uh, continue on a regular basis to participate uh, on the Canola Working Group uh, that was uh, established uh, quite a while ago. And we continue to have very, uh, very robust discussions within that group with federal and provincial government representatives and, and industry as well. So those talks continue uh, in terms of trying to strategize our way through this. Um, if I might express uh, 
a little bit of frustration with that. Uh, there's been lots and lots of talk, and uh, um, we're still looking for some concrete actions. Um, but again, uh, this takes time, and we we are doing our best to move things along. Uh, we talk about. Uh, uh, quite a few things, but uh, just to reiterate a little bit about what Jim was talking about, uh, we are working on market development, uh, actively working on market development initiatives in uh, in Asia. Um, there's some European opportunity uh, as well, and domestically, Jim mentioned it, uh, we're pressing very, very hard on, on trying to establish more biofuels uh, uh, for Canadian uh, uh, petroleum products. So uh, that continues. Uh, when it comes down to producer support, uh, we've been very active in that area as well. Um, we are very engaged on trying to figure out and give recommendations to the government on how to improve current business risk management programs so that they actually work better for farmers, especially during this very stressful time that we find ourselves in uh, with uh, with China. Um, we are uh, giving them advice uh, and, and pressing them on making program improvements uh, to agri-stability, for example, agri-invest, uh, advanced payments program, those changes, uh, some of those changes have already come into effect. But we continue to have ongoing discussions. Uh, we are very active uh, at, in, in terms of trying to keep a pulse on what's going on there. We have a sector dynamic subgroup under the uh, Canola Working Group, uh, which analyzes, looks at data for the data that we have to see what's going on, what's really going on on farm. And uh, we can see that uh, that profitability is very low right at this point in time. And uh, we are well aware of that. So we're trying to figure out what will work best for farmers to get them through some of these tough times we're facing. Good. Thanks, Rick. Good overview. And same with Jim, we'll get into a bunch of those topics. Just a quick question for you, Rick. What is the Canola Working Group? Well, the Canola Working Group was uh, established by the federal government. Uh, Minister Bibo and Minister Carr announced that uh, not too long after the China uh, issue came uh, came to bear in uh, in March. So, um, since that time, the work includes the deputy minister, federal deputy minister of agriculture, the deputy ministers of agriculture from the provinces of Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and, and Alberta. Uh, Canola Council, uh, Jim uh, co-chairs that along with Chris Forbes, the, the deputy minister uh, federally. Uh, we're involved in that group as well, and uh, a few uh, industry uh, grain uh, grain folks are on that on that call as well. So it's uh, it's kind of a, a hit team trying to figure out and plan and make changes to help uh, help the industry move forward. Good, thanks, Rick. Okay, we're going to get into some of the grower questions that were submitted for discussion. Uh, we had a few uh, questions specifically about the state of trade with China, which Jim touched on. Dustin and Chuck heard about China making small purchases of canola seed from Canada. Uh, this is recently. Um, Jim, we'll get you to uh, elaborate on that. Wayne asked about how much canola oil China is importing and from which company. Jack asked about any positive signs from China. So to you two guys, we'll start with Jim. What is China buying? Jim, if you can elaborate on your introductory um, comment, and then what are we seeing, or are we seeing any positive signs? So, what, what, what's China buying? Any positive signs, Jim? Sure, sure, Jay. Thanks. So, so yes, there. While there is uh, generally uh, still a blockage with respect to canola seed going to China, 
um, there have been sales and um, just not nearly the volumes that we would anticipate for this time of year under normal circumstances. So as they indicated, the companies that have had their licenses suspended, that's still uh, the situation. But there is, um, you know, roughly um, one vessel a month that is making access to China um, on average over the last uh, two or three months. So there are some new sales taking place. And, um, you know, I would say that that is a good sign in the sense that uh, our goal is, uh, as an industry is to re-engage with the Chinese markets and to, and to be able to sell uh, canola seed there. So, so the fact that there is some trade going on, I think, is good news. In terms of, um, in terms of uh, the actual engagement with, with Chinese authorities who have taken regulatory action against those two companies and who have you know, indicated there'll be heightened inspection for, for vessels from Canada entering China, um, they're really, we, you know, we really do want to engage China and have a discussion about that. And, and um, so from that point of view, there, there has not been a lot of good news because recently attempts to really have that fulsome discussion about their concerns really haven't taken place. So um, that's something that uh, our industry has been working hard at trying to, to do and, and the government of Canada has too. So from that point of view, um, it, there's no there's no new news really that uh, is satisfactory to us, but um, but in terms of some sales going on, that is a good thing. Canola oil continues to to move into China. I um, I don't have on hand um, a statistical analysis of that. Um, there's a heightened inspection process that applies for that too, and we're monitoring that closely. I mean, the key to the uh, oil situation is that there's no regulatory action that the government of China has taken against. Uh, oil and so um, shipments still continue there. Good, thanks, Jim. Uh, Rick, we'll get you to jump in after the next question, which is on the same theme. Lane and Steve asked where China is getting its oil if it's not buying Canadian canola oil or Canadian canola seed. Jim, Rick, what's the demand situation in China? Well, the demand for Canadian canola in particular is still there. I mean, they've been buying four, four and a half million tons uh, consistently from us for the last number of years. Um, of course, they're not doing that now, but that doesn't mean that uh, Chinese demand for the product has wavered at all. Um, and in fact, uh, we strongly believe that they it is still there. It is a high quality oil. Uh, they recognize that and their consumers, uh, the, the consumer demand is still there. Now, where are they getting it from if they're not getting it from us? Um, they'll be one of their other uh, customer or in, uh, countries that they, that they import from, of course, is Australia, but they're having difficulties with their production as well at this point in time. So there could be some, uh, some, uh, product coming from there. Internally, they do produce some uh, rapeseed, I guess, for internal consumption as well, but they can't keep up to that demand. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, if, if the demand is not met, I suspect that they will convert uh, to soybean oil or utilize more soybean oil, possibly from South America, uh, to replace this if they do need to replace it. But uh, again, demand is strong. They recognize the quality and we should be in there uh, with our product. Thanks, Rick. All right, we had questions from John and Steve about dockage. Is the level of dockage part of the issue with sales to China, Jim? Well, Jay, you know, in the past, there's been um, discussions about levels of dockage. China 
really has had uh, their concern with Aukage has related to it being a possible vector uh, for Black Lake. It goes it goes back to the discussions that uh, Canada and China have had about mitigating the possibility of Black Lake, the disease in in Canada um, entering the the Chinese rapeseed crop, and and China's concern that Aukage might be a vector for that. Aukage is not an issue in the current dispute. Uh, China has named specific contaminants in in shipments that they have uh, that they have uh, concerns with and as you've probably heard the Canadian Food Inspection Agency have pulled the samples on those vessels and have tested them uh, more than once a couple of times now to be sure that they uh, are free of any real concern with respect to those contaminants and that's CFIA's position and that's why there's such an importance of having a discussion between the Chinese authorities and the CFIA about that issue, but but those have to do with with contaminants um, and not with dockage. Okay, we're going to shift gears to a few questions on the government of Canada and what it's doing. Ron asks, what steps have the government of Canada taken to negotiate with the Chinese government and or lobby the Chinese government on behalf of canola producers? Jim, you talked about the CFIA's role. Anything more to add? Well, the CFIA really has been going at the technical issues to determine, you know, whether China really has a case with respect to these contaminants and so on. And to do that, they really need to have the, the methodology that was used by China and the testing uh, testing protocols and that sort of thing to do it. And they've been asking for that. And um, to date, the CFIA will report that they really haven't got enough information to be able to make a make any kind of determination on that or really have a really serious uh, discussion with the Chinese authorities about their concerns there. You know, at a much higher level, the president of the Canadian Food Inspection Agency has tried to engage uh, at, at uh, her level with China. Uh, the ministers, you know, Minister Bebo held a uh, short meeting with her counterpart at one of the international meetings that took place. Uh, you've probably seen in the media recently that uh, Minister Freeland did have a, a conversation with the foreign affairs minister um, from China. Canada, the, you know, the Prime Minister has indicated that he's uh, reached out uh, to China. Um, the, the, the government of Canada raised this issue at the General Council of the World Trade Organization and expressed concern of not, you know, not being able to engage and get the information necessary to, to evaluate this issue and, and real concerns with the, with the stoppage of canola trade. Um, there are still some options that the government of Canada has there, and I think the government's weighing uh, whether or not to proceed with um, the kind of consultation and dispute settlement process at the World Trade Organization. Um, so a lot of actions has have been taken. I mean, all of them, Jay, rely on um, you know China being able to uh, really engage and have a discussion. Uh, you know, if there's going to be a meeting between ministers at a political level, then that, you know China has to be willing to do that. Or at a technical level, China has to be willing to provide the information that's necessary to evaluate their concerns. And that's really where this issue is. And I, you know, I would add that I think, you know, this is a, it's a complicated issue. If, if it were just about canola and canola quality, I think it wouldn't be that difficult an issue to resolve. Um, but there are, you know, major trade tensions, I believe, you know, between the U.S., the United States and China. And there are uh, Canadian detainees in China. And I think those issues really complicate um, the issue of trying to trying to find a resolution with respect to, to canola trade. You know, Canada is trying to engage with China. 
um, and attempts to engage with China, but China does not respond in any meaningful way in terms of engagement to resolve the issue. And that's just not at the federal level. I understand that there's been attempts by provincial premiers and uh, senior officials uh, provincially as well uh, facing the same uh, lack of engagement from China on trying to resolve this issue. Um, it's just a lack of engagement in a meaningful way. There, there's conversations going on, but not a real uh, like, you know, engaging kind of way that would result in any any uh, softening of China's stance on this. Any sense as to why China is not engaging? Well, I think, um, you know, uh, people will, will be able to draw their own conclusions uh, on this. I mean, there are uh, significant, you know, trade issues, geopolitical issues at foot here. And, uh, uh, our, our, what I would say, Jay, is that we're very confident um, that there are no serious uh, quality issues with canola, and to the extent that uh, there's a requirement for a discussion about um, any issues related to quality, we're eager to have that discussion with the Chinese. Uh, and there was a question, which is a perhaps a sidebar to this, on the extradition hearings. Jim, you mentioned the extradition for Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou. Uh, she's in Vancouver awaiting extradition to the U.S. Um, the specific question from the farmer was, why is it taking so long? Well, it's a good question, Jay. Um, the extradition process is following the normal course that extradition processes take. take. Um, you know, they're governed by uh, Canadian, Canada's laws and by the extradition treaty that Canada has with the United States. And so there are, uh, you know, a fixed process that is being followed um, by the government of Canada. Uh, the challenge is it's not a speedy process. It's uh, my understanding that the BC uh, Supreme Court will be holding another hearing that will be late September or early October. And then uh, again, there will be another hearing that will take place in January 2020. And, and that process will then continue into the spring of 2020. So um, it, this is the normal process. It's governed by law. It provides each uh, of the parties, you know, opportunities to address their case and to appeal certain provisions of the process and so on. So it is not a, a quick process and it's not one that's defined um, acutely by dates. Um, it, you know, it really depends on the, on the court making those decisions. So, so it's not a fast process, but that's essentially um, how the extradition process Thanks, Jim. Good. All right. Sticking with government, this is a question for you, Rick, and it uh, builds upon some of the comments you had earlier. Clint asks, when will we get real monetary support from the government to alleviate the pain from the ongoing trade war with China and other trade issues? And this is Clint continuing. I am against subsidies, but our federal government has proven to be unable to manage any of the many any of the many market access issues, big or small, and I think we should be compensated for their incompetence. Rick, how would you answer that? Well, um, thanks for the uh, thanks for the question, Clint. Uh, we we know and 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 the government knows as well that uh, on farm revenue uh, this year will be down uh, again. It was down last year and it's down even further now because of the situations that we find ourselves in with trade issues. Um, the issue uh, really right now um, is, is significant. Uh, canola profitability is a very significant factor in farm profitability. Canola 
pays a lot of the bills. I've heard that many, many times, and it's true. You can see from the data um, how prof when, when canola is profitable, it helps float the farm. Without canola being profitable, we got a problem on farm uh, on farm revenue. So um, that's why we've been focused on getting trying to get the government to fix BRM programs, in particular the Agri Stability Program, because with uh, the current design of Ag Stability which is a program we already have. It's not an ad hoc thing, it's, a, it's an ongoing program. If we're gonna have these programs, let's make sure they work. And now is the time ag stability should work and it's not going to work good enough. The reference margins are only uh, for coverage is only 70% and with the margin limit, you only get 70% of that 70%. That is nowhere near enough to prevent farmers from losing big money this year. And we pointed that out to the government and we have said till we're blue in the face that we want those reference margins within that program uh, returned to their previous uh, levels of 85%, a full 85%. That would at least catch farmers before they are so negative that they're they're having financial difficulties and losing money all over the place. We need a program that catches them before they fall that far. And we've been pushing hard on the government through the working group. Uh, we're part of the Ag Growth Coalition. They're working on this too. They just put out a press release recently on that. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of push, but there's not a lot of action from the government. And we will continue down that road to ensure that the government recognizes the critical stage that we're in right now and the need to get that program in particular fixed. Um, we've already seen changes in the cash advance uh, program, the APP. We know that is not a fix. We always said it was not a fix, but it does enable farmers to have more time to market your commodities and try to get that better price and not be forced to sell just to generate cash flow to pay your bills. It's not a fix. Um, they've extended the deadline on 2018 to prevent uh, um, or to uh, make sure that we don't get into a default situation with 2018, which comes due the end of, uh, of uh, September here. So the government listened to our pleas to put in a state of default. Um, they enhanced the 2019 program. Again, it's not a fix, but it's to help you market your way through this. Uh, temporarily, short term, but the real fix here could be agri-stability if they got those reference margins, but that is going to take time and, and we really hope the government acts soon because it'll be too little too late if they take a year or two to fix this. So those are the uh, the main things I'd like to point out on that, Jay. I guess, Jay, it's Jim. I just uh, would add, you know, that um, to Rick's point about canola really paying the bills, uh, the canola, uh, you know, delivered almost $10 billion to farmers in uh, last last year. And, um, you know, we're following uh, the prices, the Canadian Canola Growers Association following prices in Western Canada um, closely for canola. And, you know, there's price price reductions um, since this whole issue with China started of, you know, 10 to 12% overall. You know, when you look at a, that that amount of cash receipts going to farmers, that's a billion dollars out of the you know the canola economy. Um, you know, mostly caused by this uh, this situation with China, and that really has a ripple effect into into Canada, into Western Canada, particularly. You know, in terms of producers maybe having to delay uh, purchases of new equipment and uh, you know processors, uh, you know delaying 
um, new infrastructure programs to, to build capacity of their crushing plants, those sorts of things. And I, you know, our concern is that has a ripple economy, ripple effect right through the Canadian economy, hard on farmers, obviously, as Rick pointed out, but, but you know, hard, hard on the whole Canadian economy. It'll take some some real value out of uh, out of our GDP. So it, so you know, it's really important that we keep our eye on that. And and in addition to looking at these producer support issues that that Rick is speaking about, also to look at how we can really diversify uh, our our uh, marketing opportunities and. and there, we're, we're, we're focusing attention on the domestic biofuels market and other areas where we can where we can diversify our sales. And maybe if I could just add one more point on on this, Jay, um, we hear uh, a lot of mixed messages on ad hoc payment um, for this situation too. Right now, there doesn't seem to be any consensus in the farm community about that. That would be a direct subsidy payout. Um, but again, it's been talked about. But uh, farmers are all over the map of whether they want something like that or not. So I, if any farmers out there listening have ideas on what to do and what their opinions are on this, I'd sure like to hear it. Uh, let us know at Canadian Colligores. We'd like to hear from you. But so far, it's, uh, there doesn't seem to be much consensus on which approach. So we've been focusing on BRM to get that fixed as a solution to this. Good. You can find contact info at ccga.ca. Good. All right. Another way to help Canadian canola growers is to find ways to diversify the market. We had a few questions on that theme, guys. Um, for example, sales of canola to Europe have the potential to replace some of our exports to China. Chuck asks, how large is the European market for Canadian canola? Jim? Well, yeah, Europe's always been a market to, for Canadian canola. It's a, it's a market that's really kind of volatile based on the size of the European crop for the most part. Um, um, looking at the situation now, a couple of things come into play. The EU has a smaller um, crop, um, some challenges. Uh, they have had some crop protection products that they're not allowed to use now. They've been regulated. And uh, so there's been some retraction in terms of acreage. And there's been a challenging year also for the EU. So production of rapeseed in Europe is down. And so there's an opportunity there for Canada to, to help fill that uh, gap in the market. I suspect also that China, in looking for um, canola or rapeseed to replace uh, the, the, what they're not buying from Canada, China, Europe is one of the places where they could turn. So there's a possibility that there's uh, you know 1.2 to 1.5 or, or more uh, metric tons of, of a product that could go to Europe. We have a question about the domestic market situation. Uh, Joan asks about domestic crushing and canola sales. Maybe this is a good time to talk about uh, the biofuels mandates within Canada? Um, when we look at market diversification, one of the first places we look is here at home in Canada, within our control and with uh, not having to cross international borders. Um, we already have a 2% uh, renewable diesel content required in our uh, diesel pool here in Canada. You know, we continue to push federally on this. Um, we, we've also continued, along with Canola Council, lobbied hard provincially, particularly in Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba, to get the provinces to implement uh, mandatory blend levels of, of 5% and moving up from 2 uh, just very recently here on Tuesday, we saw the Manitoba Progressive Conservative Party uh, announced that if re-elected, they would move that 
from 2% to 5%. Um, so well, if other parties were to jump on that too, we would be uh, we would be supporting that policy. We're not supporting the party. We're we're supporting the policy put forward by any party um, that would that would do that. Uh, we've been uh, wanting Saskatchewan and, and uh, Alberta to do the same. We already have four percent uh, in Ontario and in BC, and there's no reason we can't move to a five percent nationally here. If we did canola share of feedstock, that would be about a 1.3 million ton seed uh, market for us domestically uh, in the fuel supply and reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions by about three and a half million tons. So it works for farmers, it works for the environment, and it doesn't cost the governments anything. So we think it's a very eloquent solution. It's a no-brainer, it's proven, and we want uh, provincial governments and or the federal government to move on this quickly. To build on that grower question about domestic um, markets, anything else being done to expand the domestic consumption of canola oil in Canada? Well, I think we have uh, we do market development work really internationally and domestically, and uh, we will continue to do that. Uh, you know, canola is uh, it's, uh, very popular, and uh, we have a very significant market share in in Canada and uh, in the United States and, you know, in Japan. So we continue to do market development work there. We're looking increasingly and working in partnership with the Canadian Canola Growers Association at the emerging markets where we can um, advance um, market share for canola even more. And those would be the, you know, markets like Pakistan and Bangladesh where there is uh, crushing capacity that can manage uh, bigger volumes of canola seed and then uh, taking advantage of the free trade agreements that have been signed. So looking at Asian countries, you know, Korea, there's a free trade agreement and we've been following up there and um, looking at other Asian markets that have been opened up through the CPTPP recently. And um, so, so very much uh, continue to work on that and domestically um, to increase our market share, Jay. Good, actually that ties in nicely with, with the next question from Shalene. And she asked, uh, I would like to know what progress is being made to market our raw materials to other countries. So I think, Jim, you you covered that off quite nicely there. Rick, anything to add on that one? Yeah, just uh, just to reiterate and, and expand a little bit the, like, you know, the addition, uh, in addition to new market opportunities in, in Europe, which, uh, which Jim talked about, we're also engaged in market development uh, in Asia in particular. Uh, exploring increased oil oil um, opportunities, canola oil opportunities to South Korea, um, meal into Southeast Asia, etc. So we continue that work. Uh, we were active with Minister Carr on a trade mission, uh, both us and Canola Council, uh, supporting him as he went uh, into these areas to promote canola and canola oil and meal. And uh, we're following up on that. Uh, these are markets that are that that could that could be more. Uh, develop more for us and uh, we're working on that. Okay, on the theme of international trade, Chad asks, how do we set up our future trade agreements going forward to prevent political interferences from affecting the honest, hardworking individuals? Well, it's a good question. You know, it's something that we are working at through our, uh, through our uh, bilateral and multilateral trade uh, work that we do at the Penal Council. Um, you know, it's a it's a tough one because uh, it's a great question. It's a tough one because you know historically agriculture really always has been 
you know, kind of very political in the trade environment. Uh, it's always a challenge in all these uh, bilaterals and multilateral trade agreements. Negotiations on agriculture are always among the toughest. Um, it's got to do, I think, mostly with countries making sure that they protect the interests of their own domestic producers. And uh, so, you know, the Canola Council and the Canadian Canola Growers Association are both involved in the Canadian Agri-Food Trade Alliance, which is really devoted to liberalized trade uh, and trade rules with through, through free trade agreements and through the WTO. And you know, it's not an e there are no easy fixes there. It's uh, um, politically motivated uh, uh, issues are, are have always been a challenge with with agriculture. Um, one area is to improve the rules under the WTO. Taking a taking an action under WTO is uh, can be effective over the long term, but it's a long process, uh, a challenging process, and uh, um, you know it doesn't provide quick results. So one of the areas uh, where where we should be looking and, and are looking is a more effective you know and swifter dispute um, settlement mechanisms. Uh, recognize that uh, our trade minister, Minister Carr, has a group together, the Ottawa group, that's looking at improving. Components of the WTO process to try to make it the multilateral process more effective, um, but you know not all countries support the WTO um, upgrade or, or improvement. So it's a very difficult issue, and I think it's something that Canada has to continue to turn, draw, turn attention to. And and our industry is, and we're providing advice that way on, from a canola perspective and through the through the Canadian Agri-Food Trade Alliance uh, across the commodities that are that are traded liberally. Rick, do you want to add anything? Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, just a just a quick one. Um, you know, this uh, it, it Jim said it very well. Um, politics are hard to manage uh, in any kind of a trade agreement, and it's always going to be here. It's always be there. It's always going to be there. Um, trying to balance the sovereign rights of a nation to control imports uh, into their country. Those uh, some of those are, are issues uh, are are legitimate. Um, plant health or uh, protection of, um, you know, environment and, and food safety, et cetera, et cetera. Those are all legitimate, but the really difficult one is is, is politics. And really, uh, at the end of the day, uh, we're just going to have to live with it. We're in a very bad political situation globally uh, regarding trade. Um, hopefully that will blow away someday and we'll get back to whatever is normal. Um, but again, right now it's very politically charged around the world and uh, hopefully it's not long lived. Um, hopefully common sense, the economy of the world, global economy relies on trade. Um, political leaders are going for short term political gains here. Hopefully that uh, common sense prevails uh, over a longer term. So Jay, uh, you know, part, kind of type of uh, part of uh, Rick's comments uh, make me think about uh, one of the questions I know we've got with respect to the certification requirements for the European markets. We've um, Canada has been selling canola to the European market for some time. It's certainly, a, it's a traditional market for ours, for us. Um, and I just, you know, provide some background to this issue around um, sustainability certification. Um, the EU implemented the Renewable Energy Directive several years ago, and all member states in Europe have adopted uh, the what's called the RED, the Renewable Energy Directive. And it requires um, the value chain to have sustainability certification for any feedstock, including canola, that's used for the biofuels market in Europe. You know, So it's a certification program that goes right through 
um, the uh, elevator handling company and to the producer um, of the canola that's going um, forward to Europe. And it, it requires paperwork to be associated with uh, that sale of certified canola. You know, at the time when the Renewable Energy Directive was really brought into place, there was no pathway that would allow Canadian canola to be um, to access that market. We were effectively blocked from selling into the European biofuels market. So at the time, the Canola Council initiated the project really to ensure that Canadian canola could be certified. It, it requires, you know, a whole life cycle evaluation of canola for a sustainability point of view. Um, we did that work, and as a result of that, you know, the, the value chain decided to align on the ISCC certification system, which is just one of several certification systems. But at the time, there were very few, and the ISCC was uh, considered to be the, the best and most expedient way for, for Canada access uh, that system. So the Canola Council did that work and was successful in qualifying Canadian canola for um, access to Europe. Um, the export companies in Canada had an opportunity to, you know, an option of, of utilizing that process and working with producers to make sure that their locations were certified and that producers that were delivering um, to them for the European market were certified. And uh, so the European process, the certification criteria are very rigorous and, and very fixed. You know, we would certainly prefer if they were, if they were kind of less bureaucratic, if you like, and, and better suited to Canadian production practices. Um, but they are what they are. They, they are the law in Europe. And so to access to Europe, um, we have to be certified that way. Recently, um, given the, you know, the renewed interest or the, the heightened interest in, in European, Europe as a market because of the dynamics of the European market that we discussed earlier on the call here, um, we've been at the Canola Council reminding farmers of uh, if they want the option of being able to market to, to grain companies for the European market, how they can go about getting their farm certified. Um, that information is available to anybody. It's on uh, the, Canada, the Canola Council website, canolacouncil.org, and right on the, on the cover page, there is a, uh, there's an opportunity to click on the, on, you know, get your farm certified for export to Europe. And it's really the producer's choice whether they'll do that again. Not all farms will qualify, you know, based on, on the circumstances of the particular farm. But uh, what the Canola Council is doing is just uh, informing producers of that opportunity and how they would go about um, getting their farm certified if they're interested in doing that. And we just wanted to bring that attention to, to producers. Great. Thanks, Jim. Good. Okay, we're getting close to the end. We have a question from Jennifer in Eastern Canada. What can Eastern Canadian farmers and producer organizations do to help show solidarity and support to our fellow Western producers? Rick, do you want to address that one? Well, that's a very nice, uh, nice uh, message from Jennifer. Thank you very much for for that. Um, that is helpful. Just knowing that uh, someone out east uh, is thinking of Western Canadian farmers. Um, but I, I, I do have to acknowledge that even Eastern Canadian farmers, uh, soybeans in particular, are having difficulties with China uh, being blocked. Um, additional challenges with uh, uh, the tariff war between China and the U.S. depressing soybean prices. And uh, I know those prices have a negative effect on Ontario farmers as well as Manitoba farmers. So 
just want to say thank you, Jennifer. Uh, yes, we need to work together. We need to band together. We need to help each other. Um, we're all in this together. Um, but thank you very much for the comment. All right. To wrap up, you each get a chance to make a final comment. Uh, repeat anything you said earlier. Uh, emphasize whatever point you want to. We'll start with you, Jim. <laughs> all right, Jay. Well, well, look, I, I, I guess I would just say, um, you know, this is a really difficult uh difficult situation with China. Um, it, there, there really is no really quick solutions, which is a real challenge for us. Um, we, need to, we need to be able to um, diversify to markets, and that takes time um, to do that. Uh, and, um, you know, there's a, there's a geopolitical issue at foot here, and, uh, major trade issues between China and the United States that are really making it difficult. Um, you know, we are certainly looking at, uh, we you know, we recognize how uncertain it is for producers, especially just going into the field to harvest the new crop now. Um, but, you know, a lot of effort being made to, A, re-engage China and try to re-establish that market, and B, uh, looking at diversifying to other areas, and we're really focused on this domestic biofuels market. And, um, you know, I think producers or others who are um, listening to this podcast, if they have an opportunity to speak to their local representatives about that opportunity, you know, we would certainly welcome that. Um, that's part of our diversification uh, point of view. We're asking the government also to be, beef up some of the human resources that we have, particularly in China when it, or in Asia, sorry, when it comes to market access um, skills, you, you know, uh, technical skills, uh, legal and uh, negotiation skills. Um, we can certainly use more Government of Canada um, horsepower in Asia to help deal with those um, issues now that we have better access to some of those markets through the CPTPP. So um, there are areas where we're working hard at opening up uh, and maintaining market access and then supporting the producer um, with the financial challenges in Western Canada. And, um, you know, we're really focused on that and working working with the government of Canada on it. Um, I guess that would be kind of my parting comment. We'd, we'd certainly welcome any ideas that, that producers have for moving this forward, but uh, efforts are really being made to do that. Thanks, Jim. Rick? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Jay. Um, just to reiterate some of my previous comments, uh, would really like farmers to be engaged. Uh, like Jim said, uh, we're going uh, into a federal election. Uh, there'll be lots of barbecue circuits and uh, town hall meetings coming up with local politicians. So a great opportunity to talk about your situation as a farmer um, and what you want the government to do and uh, agri-stability improvements are key I think in our view um, and if you can get that messaging direct to a uh, politician they they it'll mean something to them agri-invest I didn't mention that on the call but that's another one of the BRM uh, programs that could be augmented give that a plug too if you're talking to to politicians and uh, finally just to reiterate the uh, the uh, increasing the mandate for renewable content in diesel uh, from 2% to 5% is a practical way to use more canola. It expands economic opportunities. It helps the environment, and just as more probably more importantly, it will help your farm. That that's a 1.3 million ton um, uh, 
demand that we can create, no reason not to do it, and I think uh, politicians uh, need to hear that um, and hear that loudly because we need we need a grassroots push on this one. So um, you can help as a farmer, um, and we're doing our job at our end as an organization. We're working hard on your behalf, and uh, we it would be great if you could echo some of these points uh, locally. Great, thanks guys. Thanks Rick. Thanks Jim. For more on Canadian canola trade with China, go to canolacouncil.org and look for the heading Canola and China, Information for Growers. This has been a Canola Watch podcast. I'm Jay Wetter. Thanks for listening.